Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Who better to talk to on this Monday morning after the uh, Celtic season ends and whatever little credibility Bob Arum had ends as well than our friend from Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, covers boxing and the NBA for that fine magazine. Good morning, Chris. How are you? What's going on, fellas? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Well, where are you now? You go right from Vegas to Oak City? Well, no, now I'm in uh, I'm in Milford, Connecticut. I'm filling in for Dan Patrick for a couple of days, wow. um, hanging out uh, hanging out here. Then then off to Oak City tomorrow afternoon. Nice, nice. Let's let's start. Uh, well, I would say chronologically. Either way, it would be chronological. Uh, the, the, the fight. Why why are they making it so obvious that the fix seemed to be in? Why would they announce a November rematch and then have this controversy rear its ugly head? Wouldn't there be a little more credibility, Chris, if they hadn't announced the rematch until oh, I don't know today? I mean, I get, I get what they, where you're coming from with that, but you have to remember that the rematch wasn't announced. It was, it was a, it was a spick that Tim Bradley was doing to sort of show how confident he was that he was going to win. I mean, it's, uh, I've seen stuff like that before. There are rematch clauses it, when you deal with Pacquiao or Mayweather. There are always rematch clauses for them in the contracts for the guys, uh, the guys they fight to protect themselves against these type of decisions. So that was more of a stick on, on Bradley's part. He printed out the big fake ticket. He uh-huh. bragged about it all, all the, the entire time of the promotional tour. So that was more of a stick. And really, you know, when I saw that, that decision, I mean, I was ringside. I scored the fight for Pacquiao. But bad decisions are sort of epidemic in boxing. And, and I've seen it far too many times. I was in Finland in December, and I watched a guy named Derek Chisora get robbed after I scored the fight 11 rounds to 1 for him. Uh, in in uh, last November, Paul Williams won a fight in New Jersey that was such a bad decision that the New Jersey State Athletic Commission suspended the three judges who scored it because they were so incompetent. So uh, I think it's, I honestly think it's less corrupt as it is just downright incompetence from some of the judges in boxing. So you had it fairly close, correct, Chris? On, on... I had it reasonably close. I had 115 to 113, but that oh. was as close as you could get. I mean, right. I, I, I gave Bradley. You know, Bradley, one of the things he won, at least in the punch stats, was he threw more punches. And if you're in the state of Nevada, one little inside boxing thing is that Nevada favors aggression in their fighters. And their judges tend to favor fighters who throw a lot of punches. So I thought that Bradley got the benefit of the doubt from me and I think from the judges in that sense. But by the fact he was busy for three minutes of every round, he didn't connect a lot of those shots. And many of them were the pitter-patter type variety. But he was busier, so I think I gave him a little bit more credit than other people did. But look... No chance he won that fight. No chance whatsoever he deserved that decision. Well, afterwards, Pacquiao wasn't all that upset, and a lot of people are uh, uh, you know, reading into that that maybe it works out well for him. He doesn't have to worry about Mayweather. He's all set. We're rematching November, a guy he knows he can beat and make big money. We, we admit it. Uh, you know, we, we didn't watch Saturday night because of the Celtics, but November, it'll be a different story. I think as a marketing ploy, this thing works out perfectly. Yeah, but I don't know if I, I, I buy that either because, first of all, Pacquiao, his reaction after the fight was just vintage Pacquiao. He's very, you know, aloof. He's very, he's not very confrontational. You know, he doesn't say, he doesn't say a whole heck of a lot at any point in time. He just sort of goes with the flow and allows his promotional team 
to put fights together. And I got to be honest, you know, a, a rematch doesn't even do it for me. I mean, I, I don't even want to see a rematch. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people out there that want to see a rematch. Look, this was this was a clear cut win for Manny Pacquiao. And I think when we see that when all the numbers are tallied, there wasn't a huge level of interest in this fight. You know, the, I was at the attendance was I think an all time low, or at least a, a low for Pacquiao in the last three or four years. The gate was only nine million dollars. Usually that number is around eleven or twelve million dollars. It just didn't generate a whole lot of interest, guys. And I think because of the fact that it wasn't a knockdown, drag out brawl, because that it wasn't a blood and guts type of fight, that regardless of the decision, I don't think there's going to be a huge level of interest in this fight. And I was talking to a few people. In, in the top rank camp, and, and they're kind of hoping they don't have to do this fight. I mean, they'd like to move on to a fourth fight with Juan Manuel Marquez, a fight that sold out last time in about a couple of hours, a fight that did about 1.2 million pay-per-view buys and did a gate of over 10 million. That's the fight they want to do next, not another Tim Bradley fight. I mean, Tim Bradley just does not move the needle as far as the, the fan base goes. So you think the fuming and the anger by Bob Arum after the fight was legitimate, that he really is upset with this? Yeah, I think he was, because I don't think he's all that invested in the future of these two guys as opponents. I mean, I think he's, he's signed both these guys. Both these guys are top-ranked fighters, but he has plans, grandiose type of plans for these guys in the future. I mean, I can tell you from talking to people at top rank that the idea, you know, assuming a Mayweather fight can't be made, which, you know, these two idiots, they'll never make that kind of fight, but assuming a Mayweather fight can't be made, they want to do Marquez in November, they want to line up a kid named Brandon Rios uh, in next May, and potentially do a farewell fight for Pacquiao in the Philippines against a guy named Donito Donaire uh, sometime in, in the fall of 2013. Uh, Bradley rematch has never and was never on their radar. They thought they, they were going to use this to sell Bradley, you know, cash him out that one time at 147 before moving him back down to 140 pounds where there are a lot of opponents he could potentially face. This was not something that they thought of as a potential trilogy or, or, a, or a series of fights that would become, you know, body ward uh, this was something that sort of fell into their laps, and I think in a lot of ways, guys, they're a little bit disappointed by it. Uh, we're talking with SI's Chris Mannix, and, and Chris, I'm wondering, does this fight, does this judge, these two judges, uh, does it rise to the level, or maybe I should say lower itself to the level, of the New Jersey situation where suspensions or investigation or something would be done, or is it just a done deal? I think there will be an investigation, and I, I've swapped emails with Keith Kaiser, the head of the Athletic Commission. He has not given me a clear answer on whether there will be suspensions. I think what I don't think there will be. You know, just a, my best guess is I don't think there will be because I think in some ways it, they'll be able to justify it with the activity level of uh, of Tim Bradley. I mean, like I said, he threw right. I think 110 more punches than Pacquiao in that fight, so they'll be able to justify it. But certainly. You know, this is going to be a stink attached to boxing for years, and I think the only way to correct this, and, and by the way, guys, this, there's no sense of urgency out there to correct these kind of mistakes. The only way to correct it is to make these guys go back to school. I mean, they almost have lifetime appointments when they're judges. They basically are allowed to rot in the judge's chair. I, I don't get why these people are made to take tests or something every few years to prove that they are still competent judges. And until that happens, you know, this is not going to stop. We are going to continue to see atrocious decisions in boxing. Hey, Kevin, I mean, Kevin, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, that's a compliment, by the way, calling you Kevin. But anyway, Chris, the, obviously you're an NBA guy, too, and you're heading to the finals. Um, we don't think if the Celtics had survived, Miami would have had a chance against Oklahoma City. I think they overachieved just getting to a Game 7. Yeah. When you look at their bench, when you look at their size and their age and everything else, it's amazing that they get went as far as they did. Now we're talking about what happens to the Big Three. To me, it's simple. Uh, 
He says goodbye to Ray Allen. He probably already has done it. Danny's probably already said, we're moving on. That's Avery Bradley's job. But Garnett is a little dicier. Um, do you think Garnett is, is would really like to stay here? And what will it take? What will it take for Ainge to convince him to, to stick around for one or two more years? You know, I think if Kevin Garnett wants to keep playing basketball, he will stay in Boston. I think he's a loyal guy. Remember, he didn't really want to get straight out of Minnesota in the first place. He doesn't like to be a guy who's a mercenary who wants to bounce around to different organizations, just chase rings like some other players uh, in his age bracket. I think he wants to, to stay with one organization. The question I have, Jerry, is that in the last couple of weeks, in conversations I've had with people that know Kevin Garnett, they seem to think he's leaning towards retirement. And they point to the fact that he's played so many minutes and played so many games. He was 17 years old in the NBA, rarely missing games, rarely missing any chunk of time at all, except for that 2009 season uh, when he missed those games with a knee injury. Uh, everything I've heard is that it takes a, a, a supreme effort just to get that knee ready for every single game. And people I talk to that know Kevin Garnett, and granted, they say that the people I talk to say they're not entirely sure of what his, his take is going to be once all said and done, once he has some separation from the season. But these people are telling me that they're not sure he wants to go through the grind of another 82-game season, or maybe two more. 82 game seasons. I think he's got his championship. He's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. He's accomplished everything he possibly accomplished in the game that he wants to. They think that he's willing to walk away at this point. So I think it's, the only question is, Jerry, does he want to play basketball? If he does, I think he plays for the Celtics. If he doesn't, obviously he walks away. Who has the most interest in Ray Allen, another unrestricted free agent? The Knicks, the Clippers, Chicago, Tom Thibodeau have an interest in him? Everyone. Everyone is going to have an interest in Ray Allen. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he shot a career high in three-point percentage this year. If he didn't have the ankle injury, uh, he would have been the same Ray Allen, I think, in the playoffs. He is still playing at an extremely high level. And one of the reasons that Boston still likes him is the same reason other teams still like him, is that you can send young players to Ray Allen College for a couple of years and have them become better players. I don't think there's any question that Avery Bradley has improved as a player and as a shooter because he's had a chance to play behind Ray Allen uh, for a year or two. I mean, I think that other teams not only want Ray Allen for his jump shot, but they want him to be that, that type of professional that will set the standard, that will set an example for younger players. I think Ray's interests are in New York and Miami, first and foremost. I think Chicago, if they can come up with the money, remember they gave a lot of their money to Rip Hamilton yeah. after last year. If they can come up with the money, they're an option. Certainly the Clippers, if he wants to transplant and go to the West Coast, they have no option right now at the two-guard spot, which Chelsea Bill is coming off the cap. Randy Foy, obviously, and Nick Young, two guys that you can count on as much as you can count on as Ray Allen. There's going to be a ton of interest in Ray Allen the offseason, and he's going to be able to pick and choose from where he wants to play. You wrote an interesting line that just jumped out at me about Ray Allen that says his relationship, Ray's relationship with Rajon Rondo has created tension in the locker room. What more do we know about that? Well, I think there's no question that the relationship was strained over this year. Now, how strained it became is still a little bit unclear, but there was some friction between those two, and I think that could play a role in Ray's decision not to come back. Now, I agree with that. You know, I think that Boston probably wasn't going to bring him back anyway. You're right. It's Avery Bradley's job, and Ray is coming back to the Celtics to be a bench player, especially if he can be a bench player on a team that might be more likely to win a championship. But I think the relationship over the last year between Ray Allen and Ray John Rondo soured. Now, I'm not being entirely clear as to how bad it got, but certainly I know that there was some legitimate palpable friction between those two players. I think that will ultimately affect his decision in free agency. So, uh, Chris, if Garnett retires, Ray Allen walks away, 
Uh, Paul Pierce gets a year older. Are we talking about 25, 28, 30 wins next year? Is this going to be uh, a rebuilding year next year? Because there are no great free agents uh, out there, correct? No, there's no. Besides Darren Williams, who's obviously not coming to Boston, there really is no transcendent type player. I and mean, I think where Danny has to get aggressive is he is going to try to extend the window of a Paul Pierce and keep this thing kind of, you know, obviously not going, but, you know, it, moving in a positive direction, it's aggressive on the trade market. I mean, one thing, and I don't have really any names at this moment in time, but one thing that you're going to have over these next 18 months or so are teams trying to get out of that luxury tax territory. Remember, next summer is when the new rules kick in, and that punitive luxury tax kicks in where you're paying pretty much $4 at times for every $1 you spend over the cap. And, that's, and besides the Knicks, and the Lakers, there really aren't any teams out there that are going to want to do that. So you may be able to, to if you're Boston, and if you have some cap space, you may be able to poach somebody that could be a difference maker on your team. Now, again, that's still unclear as to who that might be at this point, but I think there will be opportunities via trade if you preserve your cap space and preserve your draft picks to go out there and get a player like that that could extend this window for Paul Pierce and Rajon Rondo. We're talking with Chris Mannix from SI. Uh, do you have a theory, Chris, as to why we never really saw the real Paul Pierce in this series? Was age, fatigue, injury? What, what's, what's your theory on that? To me, I thought it was as much injury and defending LeBron James. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it is to defend LeBron. I mean, you're talking about having to defend a, a middle linebacker every single night, a guy that plays so hard and so aggressively in the pain, and that has to sap your energy. And when you're also playing it after, after two straight series already, and you're playing big minutes in those previous series, I think the wear and tear just ultimately got to Paul Pierce. Now, a couple of years ago, he was able to do it. He went seven games with LeBron, maybe outplayed him in that game seven in Boston uh, a few years back. Uh, but now it's just a different type of player. You're going up against LeBron, who there's no question, guys, he's playing the best basketball of his career right now. That was that series against Boston, especially the last two games. Those are the best games I think I've ever seen LeBron play. And when he's playing like that, you know, whether you're Paul Pierce, whether you're Bruce Bowen, it doesn't matter. It, it's going. Right. You're going to get beat up, and it's going to take a toll on you. All right, give us your pick for the finals, Chris. Oak City is a pretty big favorite here. Well, look, I thought that the Boston-Miami series was the JV game. It was like the third, you know, the, the bronze medal game to me because I think Oklahoma City is just on a different level right now. I mean, Miami has great talent at the top, but Oklahoma City is talented off the road. I mean, your old buddy Kendrick Perkins has made them a defensive force. I mean, I'm, I'm putting the over-under at maybe like 16 minutes before Perkins, you know, you know flagrant fouls LeBron <laughs> in that game one. I think he's going to have a physical impact. The front line with Serge Ibaka, he's someone that's going to defend uh, Chris Bosh, I think, extremely well. I think he ranks he was second this year in Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, the Durant-LeBron uh, matchup is huge. The Harden-Dwayne Wade matchup is huge. But the difference maker in this series, guys, is Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook has the potential to just go off and have an absolutely monster series. He can, he's totally he's a much better player than Mario Chalmers, and I think he is going to have a major, major impact in this series, and Oklahoma City wins it in six games. And you know what, if they do... You know, I hate to sign Hopper hyperbolic, but this could be the start of something big for Oklahoma City. I mean, we talk about Miami and their potential to win multiple championships. This Oklahoma City team is made of a bunch of NBA toddlers, and then they're going to be around for years to come. The majority of these guys are tied to long-term contracts, and if they win this year, they could be the next you know, Jordan-esque Bulls team for the next five, six years. Interesting. And as we wrap this up, sort of an overview on the Celtics. Can we all agree, Chris Mannix, that based on the lack of size, based on the injuries, based on a non-productive bench, uh, this was an overachieving group to get to the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games? Absolutely. You know, they are, if they had gotten to the Finals 
uh, John, this would have been the most improbable, you know, finals team I've seen mm-hmm. in recent memory. I mean, just injury after injury after injury. I mean, how many of us counted them out after Avery Bradley went down? Right. This Celtics team has nothing to hang their head about. They had a, a, a phenomenal season. Hey, if Pacquiao does fight at some point, Juan Manuel Marquez, you could probably get in the ring and teach him a few things about Marquez's style, right? You, you've taken yeah, him on. <laughs> yeah, that was three rounds, maybe the worst nine minutes of my life. I've never gotten beaten so bad <laughs> by anywhere, anywhere by anyone than what Marquez did to me. That's still on video. If people go on the internet and find that, there's, there's a good nine-minute video of me getting pummeled for people that don't like me. And you trained your ass off for that, didn't you? I trained six months, man. I, I was in the gym. I was in one of those tough gyms in, in uh, New York, in the hot, sweaty gym, working every single day. But I got in there, and it wasn't his power as much as his speed. I, I tried to throw punches. I had 50 pounds on him, guys. I was a much bigger guy at that point. But he just carved me up from the inside. He is Chris Maddox from Sports Illustrated. Always a pleasure talking sports with you, Chris. Uh, thanks for the talk. We'll see you down the road. All right, guys. Chris Maddox with Dennison Callahan on the AT&T Outline. AT&T 4G LTE with speeds up to 10 times faster than 3G. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.